Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. Join with me bi-weekly, as usual, by Neil Orfield of Stochastic on the Contrary podcast, on the, uh, the, the High Stakes podcast, all the NFL content over at Stochastic. And uh seems like you, you got a haircut. Or a trim you trimmed up or whatever. You uh, you you almost you almost look a decade younger now. Yeah, that's what that's what I've heard. Uh yeah, I uh this is this is how uh short I usually shave my head. And that was my intention. I put on the, the blade, but I, I was gonna do both, but I was gonna do my head first. And then I forgot that I put on the the guard for my head and of course went right up the middle of my chin and it was like and not even centered, like it was kind of off center. It was just like this is unsalvageable immediate regret uh but hopefully it'll grow back quickly what i, I don't know I, I guess you you like facial hair i'm the opposite i i like i don't want i don't want itchy stuff all over my face yeah it's uh i I've, i think i need i need some facial hair it doesn't look good on the you know when, when you've got a little weight on you you know your your cheeks are a little bit too puffy and then uh you know the beard kind of elongates your face it just makes you look better i think oh so you care more about your appearance now that you're on camera more often Exactly. I mean, it's the only thing people see of me is my face. And, right. You uh, they, got to be see. sexy for the DFX, the DFS audience. Yeah, exactly. I, <laughs> I know that's what they're there for. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's December now. We're getting into the the dog days of the NFL season. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been playing. I've been playing some World Cup stuff primarily. Not very, really focused on uh, NBA DFS. I've, I've been all all I see is 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 tilt in NBA DFS like every single day. I'm almost happy to tilt the soccer games rather than the ra- rather than the, than the NBA stuff. Uh I know NFL, NFL did not go well with me uh this this past week when uh, the two highest owned wide receivers crush. Yeah. And I I purposely didn't play both of them in the same lineups together. Uh I don't know what's been going on with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, NFL not going that great for me either. I thought Christian Watson was a uh, terrible play. Like, I was just avoiding Christian Watson at all costs. I was like, he's going to get so much steam because he keeps scoring touchdowns. And then, of course, he scored three more, or two Did more touchdowns. Did you expect him to be 17% owned in the milli? It didn't surprise me. I, I just thought that there were enough box score chasers out. We didn't project him that high. But like I said on one of my shows, like I think that he's a guy who's going to get more ownership than we expect because of how much he's been scoring touchdowns. Every every single touch he gets, he scores a touchdown. So I was big on I actually went high on Alan Lazard this week. He was one of my higher owned plays uh, because I thought, well, everybody's going to go to, you know, they're, they're essentially the same play except for one of them is going to be 17 percent owned one of them is going to be I, I didn't obviously predict exactly how much but uh he ended up watson ended up 17 percent, nearly 18 percent, and alan lazard was under three percent and of course through most of the first half alan lazard was crushing him was on pace for over 100 yards and, and then of course christian watson scores a touchdown right at the end of the first half and then adds on a rushing touchdown in the second half so didn't work out for me right i did the same thing with uh with nick chubb like I knew he was going to be much higher owned than his projected ownership. I I adjusted it. I didn't expect him to be twenty five percent owned. I had him at at eighteen, which was still like ten points higher than a lot of a lot of sites had his ownership. <coughs> so of course I played for the dynamic that maybe Deshaun Watson uh, show out show shows out in his first game. And uh, no, no, the Browns defense scored all the touchdowns, and yep. the Browns offense looked awful. Uh, but I thought that was that was good leverage off of a chalky 
Nick Chubb, and I think I think you did you did similarly. Yeah, I played. I don't think I played Deshaun Watson. Maybe I'm misremembering. <laughs> Uh, I did not play that many lineups this weekend. Let me pull up lineup study. No, I, th- uh, I thought I, I see here on uh, results DB. Did like I play I, some Deshaun Watson? Yeah. Okay. Maybe I. Uh, it wasn't. I, I had thought about playing some Deshaun Watson, uh, but I didn't play a ton, as I recall. He he wasn't. Uh, I may have just gotten there just based on um, projection. Like that might have been just a lineup that got into my set. You know, I didn't uh, really go out of my way to get rid of. Uh, guys who projected well enough and Deshaun Watson was a player that I thought as you said it was in a good enough spot I saw the same thing that you did where maybe they're just going to let him fall out in his first game back you know in this revenge spot uh you know it, it wasn't uh wasn't my favorite spot of the week but also wasn't one that I hated uh, the thing that also surprised me a little bit was uh, Samaji Pirine not being as owned as I expected I put I put him in at that 32 projected owned he came in at 20 and even in even in the the power sweep stuff and the spy stuff, like he came in at like twenty eight thirty percent, and at six thousand in that game environment, I mean I I, pl- I played eighteen lineups. I had him in fourteen out of eighteen lineups. Uh, I I I so I I said to James on the the pregame show yesterday that. What do you think the reason is? Because we've seen multiple times this year, we get some type of late news and people react to it way quicker than I've seen in years past. So like with Tony Pollard, when Zeke was doubtful, I mean, and and this is like in a late game, like people even like had to go like, is it a hundred percent? I don't know. Should I plan for Tony Pollard? And people just said, nope, I'm jamming him. And we saw that with with uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, with Gus Edwards out. Kenyon Drake ends up being yep. the chalkiest running back. Bombs. Michael Carter last week ends up being way chalkier. I mean, we had a lot of value running backs on that slate, so he ended up being 16%, but I mean, originally it was like 2%. Yep. Do you think that some amount of recency bias of... Because, I mean, it was very clear very clear that Mixon wasn't going to clear the concussion protocol like the day of, like it wasn't going to yeah. happen. I just, I'm it, to me, it was weird. I expected P Ryan to come in as the highest owned player on the slate. Uh, I mean, he, well, he was the fifth highest owned player on the slate, but do you think people are just like, I've this late news stuff got burned with Drake, got burned with Carter. Ain't going to pull yep. it off with P Ryan. But the difference yeah, I mean, is I think- that, that like P Ryan's in a much, I mean, dude, if he's going to get 80% of the work, the Bengals offense catching balls out of the backfield against the Chiefs. Like, why aren't I jamming this in? And I'm just surprised the field really didn't. I mean, the fact that Nick Chubb was more owned than him was... Aaron Jones was not even that much less owned than him. Or Zonovan Knight was 15%. I don't yeah, know. I mean, but, I think, could I think you you're... account for the why, why P. Ryan wasn't as, as jammed? Another, like, ETR... Uh, I know Leone and Levitan talked about it, that it's possible because that some other sites projections, because the ones that I aggregate had mixing out. So it's like the ones that I look at, like I could, I could see like if one site didn't have, uh, had mixing in and you use their projections, it didn't look 
You could right. say, oh, okay, I don't get any P Ryan or anything like that. I, I, I get that. I mean, but. it could, I think it could be just the timing of it too. So I think uh, you're, you're right to, uh, like, the, the reasons he bias, I'm sure, played some role in it. People have, you know, oh, I pivoted to this guy and then it failed. And, you know, people are uh, emotional about their DFS. So if they get burned by a move that they made, pivoting off somebody and playing, you know, the new guy and it doesn't go well, then they think, oh, this is what I, then I shouldn't do that anymore because it burned me last time. Certainly, I think that probably plays a role. But then also, like, as of Saturday, I believe Stochastic still had Joe Mixon. I think on the, the Saturday strategy show, I thought that Joe Mixon was still playing as of like noon central time on Saturday. So I think the news came out a little bit later on Saturday, maybe not even until Sunday morning, that he was had not conclu- had not cleared concussion protocol and was now not going to be playing. So probably, you know, people throughout the week hadn't been talking about it because I think Joe Mixon had practiced in full like on Friday. It was my understanding that he was going to play going into Saturday. I, I had assumed he was, and then, of course, didn't uh, pass concussion protocol. So probably a lot of people who were doing content were assuming that Joe Mixon was in, weren't talking about Samaji P. Ryan all week. And then, of course, you know there was, as you said, Zonovan Knight uh, maybe played a little bit of a role. Nick Chubb, people thought uh, they were just going to run the ball all over the Texans. Um, but wasn't that the same scenario with, like, the Gus Edwards and the and the James Robinson stuff? Like... Like no one was talking about Michael Carter. No one was talking about Kenyon Drake. Yet yeah, seemed like I, like this. Or, it also or, might be or, the, or do, you, or do you think that people were building line like projections didn't have P Ryan in and at mixing out pretty much till Sunday morning, right? right exactly. That's so like saying. if you were making lineups the night before and then just like didn't care to update them, like you weren't making P Ryan lineups. I'm just trying to figure out what situation affected this week while like the but this thing with carter and and drake was it's the same like dude gus edwards that day was not like not out until the morning so like yeah so i i mean i'm i'm glad that i played you know 14 out of 18 lineups with p ryan at that ownership uh i mean i i also barely played him i'm on ross st brown as a one-off and that didn't work out well. Or Gar- I mean, I played yeah. Garrett Wilson in half my lineups, but I also had, you know, Dalvin Cook or Justin Jefferson or a Mike White stack. Or it's like I played Wilson in a more correlated way. Uh, it just, it's just, I try to, I try to see these trends on how the field reacts to news like this. Yeah, and I, I, I don't understand tangible. why this situation was so much because, dude, P Ryan isn't like, like this compared to Kenyon Drake and Michael Carter. Like this is. This is more similar to the Pollard incident right, from earlier I, in the season I, than anything so I, else. I think you're maybe. I think there might be the name factor that Samaji P. Ryan has always been like, uh, you know, third down back. He's never really been the lead back, so maybe people are just a little bit hesitant about. Well, is he going to be the lead back? Is he really going to get the volume? We've seen it with you know Kenyon Drake has gotten the volume before. Michael Carter has gotten the full workhorse back volume before. Mixon doesn't have a, a long track record of you know playing as the workhorse back. I think he has done it. Yeah, before, but didn't but... P. Ryan do that literally the week before? Did P. Ryan play the week? Yeah, before? the week the the last. Uh, okay, right. Yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah, so maybe, I don't know. I, I It is hard to account for that he was uh, only 20%. That's definitely lower than I would have expected given the news breaking. But uh, I, I mean, we uh, Stochastic had him projected for 23.5% ownership. So he came in under what we had him projected for, but not by a ton. Um, but yeah, I I can't think of any real logical reason for, for P. Ryan being 
uh, that low owned, except for, I guess, maybe Joe Mixon had not actually been ruled out prior to the noon lock. So maybe people had kind of locked in some of their running backs. Yeah, but when projections already account for that, I mean, like, I don't know. I'm just trying to know what, what made this thing different than other things. And I can't, I can't see a reason other than it's just, I don't know, just an aberration. Well, how, how much did, uh, did Michael Carter get the week before? Because I'll, I'll say this. I was going to play Michael Carter even before the news came out uh, that, sorry, I was going to play, yes, I was going to play Michael Carter the previous week even before we got the news that James Robinson was not active. So I thought, so I think that part of it might be that Michael Carter was already a good play. And I, I wasn't the only one. I think there were other people who were already on Carter before James Robinson was made inactive. And he was, I mean, he was the lead back, I think, before James Robinson became inactive. So this is a different situation where if you were expecting Joe Mixon to play, you know, Samadhi Piran wasn't, you were, he wasn't even in play with Joe Mixon active. So it was a little bit different in that uh, Piran went from not in play to being a great play, whereas like Michael Carter went from already a really good play to a great play with James Robinson being inactive. I still don't get what makes this, this, we're getting up to Hanukkah. Right? What makes this night different than all other nights? I, I, I don't know. I didn't. I'm not complaining about it. It just, you right. know, one of my, one of my strengths is figuring out how the field's going to react. And I mean, the the two biggest misses that I had. I mean, yeah, I have to consider P Ryan a miss when I have him at 32 and he comes in at 20, and when I have Christian Watson at six and he comes in at 17. I wasn't even playing him at six percent ownership, let alone 17. So when the cards flip over, I'm like, great. Great, seventy percent of the field is playing Christian Watson, and then of course he he, he curb stomps me uh, yeah. by by doing so, uh, and then you can't win a GPP without the Browns defense. So yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> there goes that. But I mean, I mean, we got like extended ownership on like Nico Collins, on Sky Moore, nine percent Sky Moore. I I had Sky Moore, I think, in one lineup. But it was it was the Mahomes lineup. Like I was like Mahomes, Sky Moore, uh, Travis Kelsey. I know I know I'm saying this looking at you played Sky Moore in like half your lineups. Yeah, I, I really liked Sky Moore. I also thought he was going to be lower than nine percent when I saw that ownership. I was uh, kind of bummed because I thought I was going to get him at like three percent ownership, and he was thirty one hundred. And I I think it may be a bias that I have for Sky Moore because I I already have him in so much of my in so many of my best ball lineups. So maybe I should have just hedged and not played him. But I was like, man, he's coming on. He's finally getting a, a decent amount of the snap share. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has been targeting targeting him downfield. I think one of these weeks he's going to break out. And I thought this was as good a spot as any for uh, Sky Moore to break out with you know Miko Hardman out and uh, just did not did not work out. Um, yeah. Didn't and, and Justin Watson, a lot of Sky Moore and a lot of Justin Watson, and both of them just were not good. They just these <laughs> Kansas City receivers. I've been I've been biting it all all year. I've been playing these Kansas City receivers because I'm like they put up so many points every week. They score so many fantasy points, and it just seems like somehow nobody ever gets it done other than Travis Kelsey. Uh, I I don't understand it how that is the case, but that seems to be the case week after week. Just nobody. Uh, of these receivers gets it done any any given week and maybe i should jump off the train i i'm dug in at this point i'm like one of these guys is gonna have a breakout week one of these weeks and they're you know priced at 3100 3200 so uh, of course this is a week I, I think i maybe even gave the example on one of my shows would you rather play 
you know, Sky Moore or no, I don't think I did give the example because the example I thought about giving was Trent Sherfield in the Miami offense. And then I thought, no, that's actually also a really good offense. So not the best example, but oftentimes you're choosing between these, you know, a 3,200 Justin Watson or a 3,100 Sky Moore in a great Kansas City offense in a great game environment. I would rather play those guys at that price rather than, you know, a Nico Collins or some of these wide receivers who are on not such great offenses and not as great of spots. So right. uh, rather that, than that, like that Chris Moore or something, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Chris Moore was the example that was coming up a lot. And I reduced his projection because I was like, I don't want to play Chris Moore. I'd rather play these Kansas City receivers who are clearly in a better spot. Uh, and then, of course, didn't did not work out. But uh, that was that was the thought process for me. Right. I didn't mind playing them in a correlated way. So like like if I was going to play like like a Deshaun Watson, Amari Cooper, Harrison Bryant, Chris Moore. Fine. Yeah, right, right. Same, same thing for Sky Moore. Like, yeah. like, yeah, Sky Moore popped a little because he was 3,100 and he projected for like eight and a half or something. Uh, but it's like, I don't want to play him as a, as a one-off. It's like, I'll play him in Mahomes or Burrow lineups, primarily Mahomes' lineups. Like, that's fine. Like, th- to me, those are the types of plays that are built more for correlation than as just like, oh, can he get me? If Dude, if that guy has 26 points as a one-off, like, probably Mahomes is, is has... 35 plus. Yeah, because he's not getting PPR. Right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Talking about uh, DFS ownership projections, I wanted to bring up uh, a tweet from, from I think we call him Dean on on the show. I think that's his middle name that we we use because he doesn't like, he doesn't want his, his, he's been been on the show. It's the sports underscore projections guy. Yep. Right. Who, who, uh, who, who must find it to be sucky now that the MMA late swap and yeah, that's like, shitty for like him. you using, using his tools over there isn't as, as useful because you don't, you don't really, you don't get all the lineups anymore right in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and he, he brings up a, a point that I brought up in, in relation before on the pregame show about as far as like accurate, the ownership projection accuracy, like what's mm-hmm. more important. And I agree. I agree uh, macro wise with what he said. I don't know if you've seen this tweet thread. No, I have uh, not. Uh, what we, okay. Just as a, as a background, a lot of sites and a lot of people that do ownership projections measure their accuracy as an, as an R squared. Right. So they, they have all of their ownership projections and then all of their actuals and then compare that on a line and have, you know, R squared, point eight seven, point nine, you know, nine three. It's a correlation coefficient. Yep. yep. Okay. Uh the different the thing is is that I don't think that measuring your ownership projection accuracy based on the entire like the entire all of the ownership on all of your all the players that you've you've projected ownership for, and then looking at the correlation, it does does it justice because the Accuracy of your ownership projections differs from player to player, yep. from ownership to ownership. So, like this, this is what this is what he said. Uh, thread on DFS ownership projections. What should you try to optimize when building a model for ownership projections in DFS? Most people use R squared or correlation measures, but I don't think that's what most ownership models should solely should solely buy optimizing. Okay, as an example of the problem with R squared, here are two sample ownership projections compared with actuals with the, about the same exact R squared of 0.97 or so. And it basically says, here's one set, projected one, actual six. 
Projected 5, actual 10. Projected 25, actual 30. Projected 43, actual 40. Projected 45, actual 50. And then here's the second set. Projected 1, actual 2. Projected 5, actual 6. Projected 25, actual 30. Projected 47, actual 40. Projected 40, 58, actual 50. Both of these are squared, or 0.974 and 0.972. And then he says, in my opinion, which I agree with, getting ownership correct on low-owned players is more important given how sensitive strategy is to small changes. A player projected at 5% ownership coming in at 10% means they're in double the amount of lineups as expected. Missing from 50% to 55% is only a miss of 10%. Therefore, any model builders would probably be better suited to segment by actual ownership or other statistical techniques to evaluate the model. Additionally, for anyone who adjusts ownership projections, think there is more opportunity focused on the lower owned players. And this is very similar to what I've said, is that uh, I've said it in a different way, is that it's more important to get the higher owned players right. But it does. Uh, what I mean by right is not accurate. It just mm-hmm. means directionally correct. But it's okay. more important to get the lower owned players accurate. Like I much more, and it's 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 it shows exactly what it has on on the chart of like these these two sets of owner of ownership. Okay, if a guy you project for, to be twenty five percent owned ends up being thirty, like I don't mind, but if I project yeah. him for 25 and he ends up being 48, right? That I to me that's the most important. Or if I project him for 25 and he ends up being five, that's the most important important at that point. I need to make sure that the highest owned players are the ones that are actually going to be the highest owned. Right? right? If you're off on that, like, like if 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 you had Nick Chubb at six percent projected ownership right. and he came in at 25 as one of the highest owned running backs. That's much worse than even a one percent one percent player being six percent though. Like you, oh yeah. If you miss on those high, that miss totally on the chalk, like everything else is going to be off. There's no way for you to be anywhere close to reasonable in building lineups. But what ends up happening is when you do the R squared of everyone in the player pool. Like it, your ownership projection is going to look very accurate because half the players are less than one percent on anyway, right? So getting right. a play like you, t- I'm going to project this guy for one point two percent ownership, and he ends up being point six five. Do I? How many lineups does that represent? Not that right. much, right? It, okay, dude, what what is the incentive for these people who are publishing their data to? Uh, you know, be more accurate, but look worse. Like, I mean, isn't it just going to make them look worse if you do it from a an, an individual level where you're not just compiling everybody? Like, no, but that, that, everybody that's show, the easiest way to compare compare. Proje- I mean, that's that's the linear way of doing it. Of I, I'm going to take all all of the all of the ownership. Act, you know, there's 500 players in the player pool. I'm going to project ownership for all 500, and then every Every plot, every and every plot point, is is one five hundredth of everything that you do. So it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, two hundred of the players you're projecting for one percent or less ownership, and they pretty much come in at one percent less ownership. So it's look, look how accurate it is. 
Oh, exactly. It's not it, it's not as uh, informative, but it looks better. So like right, that's right. Want to publish that, that data but that's what I'm you're... saying. It looks better. Yeah. So the point being is that if you if you're gonna have way accuracy of ownership projections, it has it. I agree with them. It has to be segmented in some way. Like like I take a look at what we mentioned with the misses, like my, like Samaji P Ryan being 20% when I projected him for 32 is not that I'm off by 12 percentage points. I'm off by, by almost 50%. But Samaji P Ryan, I had as the highest owned player on the slate and he came in at the fifth highest ownership and still one of the highest owned players on the slate. So to me, that, that isn't as important from a strategic standpoint because Yes, he's in less lineups than than I expect, but he's still in a lot of lineups. Christian Watson having him at six percent and him coming in at seventeen is a humongous yeah. miss. Now I had him over owned at six percent, so it didn't fucking matter to me, right? So I would have had him way over owned at seventeen percent. But imagine playing Christian Watson thinking you're playing an old, a low owned six percent owned player. Imagine playing Nick Chubb thinking he's going to be 8% owned and he comes into 25. Like those are, if you have one of those misses in your 500 players that you're, you're, you're comparing, like that's worth like all of the 200 players that are one, like that, that's such an, that's such a massive miss that you have to account. That has to be weighed more then the the shit owned players, and then also even with the shit owned players, like there's a like you said with Sky Moore, there's a big difference between Sky Moore three percent and Sky Moore nine percent. Yeah, right. That's only six percentage points, but like the difference between Samaji Piran at twenty versus thirty two isn't nearly as as big as the Sky Moore one. It's it's not nearly as big as like I take a look at some of the ownership uh, from from this past slate. And I go like, I'm 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 starting I'm I'm looking down to see if there's any any others that like I had Kenny Walker at like fourteen percent, he came in at eight and a half, like to me that's more of a miss than Samaji Piran. That I had Garrett Wilson at twenty six yep. and he came in at thirty four. That isn't it. The discrepancy actually is wider, but. An 8% on player coming in at 16% owned, like it's double the amount of lineups. Like yeah. while the difference between a 20% on player coming in at 26 is like, there's still a lot of lineups and now they're getting a lot more lineups. So like getting the players that I I I consider not necessarily the 1% owned players, because a lot of times I'm not even playing the 1% owned players. It's more of those like three to 6%, like that range is the most important to get correctly because the difference between the Sky Moore example is is exactly if yeah, I told you Sky Moore was three percent, yeah. you're like you play him at nine percent and you go, I want to avoid him like the plague. Yeah. Because even though like if I told you he was six percent, you'd be like, okay, I think that's reasonable. Yeah. But these things are very sensitive in that range. But if I told you uh uh Austin Eckler like he came in at 17. If I told you, if I projected him at 20, right? Or you projected him at 15 or 14, does him coming at 17 really change really anything? Change like, for me. right. If you projected him for 10% ownership and he came in at 17, 
That's a little bit of a discrepancy, but not as big as three to nine, not as right. big as five to ten. Like especially on that low, that single digit range, that matters yeah. a lot more. But you also still need to get the chalk right. If you had Garrett Wilson at fourteen percent on and he came in at thirty four, like you're de- you're 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 dead. Your owners' projections are your your lineups are going to be. You're playing. You're probably have Garrett Wilson in, in so many lineups at that point. Right. And once you see him at thirty four percent, it's like, well, that he completely destroys the leverage in every lineup that you build him in. Yep. Right. So you have to get the chalk right first, and yeah. then secondly, you should be co- concerning yourself more with: Are there any two or three percent on players that project well that end up in your lineups? Because, like I said, I do this manually. And when people ask me, it's like, why can't you like publish your ownership projections? And number one, they're not scientific. I typically, I do them like an hour before the lock because that's when I'm building my lineups and I'm not doing them for all the players. I'm only doing it for the players that will make my lineups or that have any sense. And like, I, I'm not, I'm not projecting, I'm not changing the ownership on the, I I don't even know, uh, the the Ben Skaronik on a slate where the, no one's playing the Rams. It's like, yeah. What's like if point? he comes in at two and not one and what I, I don't, he's, I don't he's, want him either way. I don't want him either way. And he's not even making like, he's not even making I could run 300 lineups and lineup HQ and not get any. So it's basically, right. if I run 300 lineups and lineup HQ with aggregated projections, anyone that comes up at all, like literally if they come up in one lineup, I need to project, I need to figure out what their ownership is going to be. Right. Yeah. And then outside of that, I can eliminate like 80% of the player pool from even adjusting their ownership. Like, I, I just don't, I, I'm probably not playing them. It probably doesn't matter to me. Right. Unless there's some talk up, like, AJ, I had to manually up, uh, uh, up AJ Brown because he projection wise, he wasn't really showing up, but I knew that the narrative or whatever. But like, it just means I'm not, I'm, I, I went from not playing him to never, then definitely not playing him. But right. I need to account for that ownership somewhere. So it's like I bump up AJ Brown to ten percent, and then I look in that range at wide receiver and go, okay, maybe uh, maybe uh, Justin Jefferson comes down a little, maybe T Higgins comes down a little, maybe we you know something like that happens in that range. But to me, it's more important get the chalk right, then focus on the single digit players that you're either project well. And you're like they're underowned. Make sure they that they are underowned, and then the ones that don't project well, that look like low owned, play, that they're low owned. Maybe they're higher owned, or mm-hmm. higher owned. Like like figuring out what Nico Collins' ownership was was going to be tough because I knew people yeah. people weren't necessarily playing Texan stacks, and I knew that people were going to play some Damian Pierce, but probably not with Nico Collins' lineups. So I'm looking in this 4K range of like wide receiver and go, how many more people are going to play Zay Jones? How many more people are going to play uh, Traylon Burks? Then we obviously, you know, then the really cheap guys like DeAndre Carter, Sky Moore, stuff like that. And then it's like, I uh, what, what is Nico Collins? I, I I put Nico Collins at 10%, right? He came in at 13. But if like if you if you if if, if your if your site or your owner's projections had him at six. You'd think he's Would a great, like a great, great play, play yeah. right? But I mean, and if you had him at eighteen, you'd be like overowned, 
right? So what, what, what is the solution? So I'm with you. I'm following everything you're saying. What do you think the solution is? Just segment like by buckets? Uh, I think that's what, uh, that's what Dean said is we got to look at the actual ownership as a starting place and then you know make buckets based on what the actual ownership came in at. Is that, uh, do, you, do you agree with that being yes. the correct approach for? And this would be uh, for people who are like, if you are aggregating projections, maybe you want to do this to figure out, well, which ownership projections are the most accurate? Not necessarily for you know the, the companies themselves who are publishing how accurate their ownership projections are. This isn't you know the way that they're going to want to do it for people. But for if you are backtesting the accuracy of ownership projections that's when you want to to do this no yeah i would i would want i want i want i would want a, bu- a bucket of like a, like how accurate was the ownership of project i mean if if you want to do really really blunt like 20 20 plus percenters 10 plus percenters five plus percenters and one plus percenters yep and then those then then combine them together like you know don't don't wait so many one percent on players as part of your player pool, and then on the upper end of the spectrum, like the percent, like the percentage off matters more than the than the number. Because I've seen I've seen like charts that people publish afterwards of like, oh, I was we were plus seven on this guy and plus minus four on that guy. It's like well, minus four on a guy that was only projected four percent owned is a hundred percent miss. Yep. Is a hundred percent miss seven plus seven on a guy that you had at twenty-seven and came in at thirty-four is what? What's 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 that? The thir- twenty-seven that divided by thirty. I mean, you're you're talking about what a twenty-one percent miss like there. So like those shouldn't be equal to one another. Right. So some way to adjust for that, and then 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 have a have an R squared value. But even even then, I wouldn't even care about what the overall R squared of. I'm just right. Give me give me give me the buckets. You care about and, individual players, right? Yeah. And also and also if if you're using multiple ownership projection sources, I wouldn't mind mixing mixing them together. They're, hey, there there may be certain sites that are much better at projecting chalk, accurate like like even though the. I'd rather have one site that knows that instead of 27% Garrett Wilson, it's 34% Garrett Wilson. And then maybe they're not as good as the, the single digit owned plays, mm-hmm. but maybe another site, maybe they may balance out the chalk more. Right. Right. So it equals the same amount of ownership just in between Garrett Wilson, Amon Ross St. Brown and Christian Kirk. Like they get the total right, but they have it all balanced. Right. So it's like, it's 25, 25, 25 instead of like 18, 28, 34. Right. But on the low, on the single digit on guys, like the two percenters end up being 2% and the five percenters being 5%. While another site may have one guy for 10% and another guy for 1% and it ends up being both in the middle. Like, so then I could kind of mix and match. And obviously I would do have to do something in Excel in order to like only choose these players and aggregate them together like that. I mean, I'd, I personally, I wouldn't do that anyway because I think my 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 feel approach. I just, I start with I start with the aggregate, and then I just adjust from that. Like I'm, it, it doesn't matter to me what the R squared is from anywhere. I'm, dude, I'm I'm gonna I'm changing everything anyway. Uh, but I I just think in general the misnomer that we should be judging ownership projections by just a straight R squared of everything. Like really from 
it doesn't do a DFS player any good from a strategic standpoint, right? Whatsoever, because because of how we, we how I just explained it. Yeah, it's it does a, it, it's a good thing for the company publishing it because it looks good when you just do an R squared of the entire pool. But yeah, it doesn't. It's not really helpful to DFS players. I agree. And this this is also especially telling in in MMA. Sure. MM, MMA. Number one, the player pool size isn't isn't as big, but let let, let let me let me tell you that the ownership projections around the industry for MMA are pretty poor. Yeah, I, I, the the weird thing is that as an aggregate, much more accurate. Interesting. Like huh. I I I I haven't done it recently. Okay, but I in, when when uh over this past summer, I t- I I measured the ownership from everywhere. Uh, that pu- at least publishes MMA ownership projections. The most, the most accurate is the aggregate out wow. of all of them, but no single one was that accurate. I mean, like, like the and and you can see if you go from site to site in MMA that will there there's there can sometimes be dramatic. Like I could even take a look. Let, let me take a look. I'm, I'm doing this on the fly. Of the last they, late. I'm, I'm curious how late swap has it. So I didn't even play MMA this weekend. So there, it would have been three slates or so with the late swap in MMA, maybe just two. two. Uh, and I, I, okay, well, I didn't, I didn't play this last one. I'd be curious to see how much, like how much more wrong they are now that there is late swap. Because it seems like it's almost impossible prior to the slate to really predict ownership. Assuming It, that it depends on the slate. Changes. Obviously the first slate with the main event getting canceled that you have to throw everything yeah. out. Right. right, that I I disregard. I I don't even include those. The the those don't even count. Right. Uh, but like in this last the last slate we had uh with the the Holland the Holland Thompson slate uh and I I back uh, Neil I backed into I I didn't I lost money, but I backed like dude late swap. I agree. Uh, there are some people you've seen on Twitter, and I think Alex agrees. In the large field, and we said we talked about this previously. In the large field contests, I don't think late swap is. If you're just going to play large field contests, and you're like, I'm never going to late swap, I I don't think you're giving up that much edge because the optimal wins so much more frequently in MMA for the large field stuff that no matter what your late swap strategy is, you're going to still need to find the optimal. Right. In the small field, much different story. So in the small field stuff, uh, I I, ba- I backed I backed into catching more lineups than I should have. Nice, because I went to the low I went to the low variance fighters that ended up hitting their ceilings. So like, so, so far, it's working out really well for you because uh, in the first one you backed into thirty thousand dollars. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, but this one, so this one, uh, basically, basically, my my strategy was is that like. The Pavlovich Tuivasa fight. I, I know you didn't play the slate. It was a heavyweight fight, mm-hmm. most likely going to end in the first round. High variance. Tuivasa was seventy two hundred. Uh, obviously, high. If he gets knocked out, I mean, he did. He he scored less than a point because he got his ass kicked in like forty seconds. Uh, my Tuivasa lineups. Once I got a loss because I played a lot of the underdog in the second and third fights, Valdez and Rojo. Mm-hmm. So they both lost. So once one of them lost, I'm not playing that. I'm not playing the win, win the, win the. I'm not going to win. So right. now I, I, I just want five winners. I just want five. I just want high, a high enough score to min cash. 
So I just switched my my two Avasa lineups to Eric Anders, who was facing Dawkins, and that fight was more likely to go the distance. And Anders ended up knocking him out in the second round and scoring 111 points. Nice. So that that helps. And then I also switched yeah. to Angela Hill, uh, 7900 in the the mid range women's fight. And if you know Hill fights, they're typically striking affairs and they go to decision. She typically doesn't have a ceiling, but she just dominated on the feet for like all three rounds and scored like 104 points just on significant strikes. Nice. But it's like, all I'm doing is like, okay, I already have a loss in here. Now I just got, I need to switch my high variance fighters to low variance fighters and back into four or five wins. And I did, I got, and I ended up getting rid of the the, the high variance losers in my lineups other than the ones that I already had. So I knew I had no shot at first. But swapping right. out, you know, when I see two of when I see two of Oz's ownership at thirty two percent in the in the small field stuff, I'm like, I already got Anders, I already got Hill, so it's like Pavlovich puts up hundred and forty four points against two of Asa. I don't have him, but it doesn't matter to me. You know why? Because I already have one or two losses in my lineup. Any like it doesn't, right? Like I'm not playing for the optimal. So it's like I had eight lineups, I cashed four of them. When ba- if I didn't late swap, I would have cashed one of them. Right, because yeah. I would have had these two Avasa lineups, high variance. Like, yeah, sure, if he puts up 120 points, I cash also. But me having Anders and Hill allowed me to get the same score as if two Avasa knocked him out. I still get the same amount of money. You know why? Because I can't win first place. Any, I can't win top ten. Right. So like, it wouldn't have been like. Well, what happens if two Avasa would have knocked him out? I said I would have 1.5x with that lineup as much as. If Anders are like, it, it, it didn't matter. So these people that are like, I'm not sure but late swap matters. It's like late swap definitely matters. And it matters yeah. way more in the small field. And a lot of times it's rest. It's just basically rescuing lineups. Like not, it's yeah. not even competing for first place. Just, I will say it seems harder to do if you're playing 150. So it, oh, know, absolutely. Oh, Jesus. Oh, with a I wouldn't even set. consider that. Yeah, I mean, you you could. I think there are ways to do it with at least you know in, in fantasy cruncher. I assume other optimizers maybe the same way. Where like if you you could make groups after the first fight, say if you have this fighter in a lineup, uh, don't play this fighter. You know, you can do that kind of thing maybe to to force in some of those fighters. Uh, but yeah, certainly. But much, but the much po- more but the point is is that it's 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 not as the effect on your EV, the effect on your ROI is going to be much more minimal in large field because saving lineups, min- rescuing lineups isn't as important because so much equity no. yeah. is in first. Like if you're playing yeah. 150 lineups in the large field contest, you're not profitable unless you win. Right. I mean, I'm talking about long run. If you played that every slate for 40 slates in a year, you can't be profitable unless you win at least once. Yeah. Right. First, not, not second, first. Yeah, and I'm not. Maybe it's not even solo. Maybe it's a three-way dupe or a four-way dupe. Or like you have to do that. So like, how how much is rescuing lineups to the cash line when you have 150 set in the large field going to have an effect on your ROI versus just simply finding the optimal? Right. Finding the optimal is 98 percent of the battle. But in the small field stuff, the 555 with 300 entries, you don't need to find the optimal and rescuing a $555 entry to a thousand bucks. Right. 
It's a lot more impass- a lot more important than rescuing for twenty bucks or whatever. Right. Like how many? How many? That, I mean, you're talking about like that's like rescuing twenty five lineups out of your hundred and fifty set at once. Right. Yep. Right. So like, you're probably not even be able to rescue that many lineups in your large field stuff anyway, as it is. But if you're what I'm doing, I'm playing eight lineups. Like I could really focus on those eight lineups and go, okay, switch here, switch there, switch that. Right, I got a loss here. Let me ch- switch this up the hill. Let me get a main event fight. Like I went, I went from all eight lineups not having a main event fighter to seven of eight having a main event fighter because I'm sitting there with either one or two losses in all of my lineups after the third fight. So I'm like, how do I get to the cash line? Okay, let me take hey a five round a five round fight that's most likely going to go to the distance. Give it to me, 8,500, 7,700, get, throw it in there. Uh-oh, I get Angela Hill, Eric Anders, just whatever I do. Throw And, and then I, if I can, can I get up to Dos Anjos, the biggest favorite on the slate? Good, lock in 100 points there. Give me that. And I like Nicolau, who's under on, most likely go to distance, strike. Okay, give me that. That's a, that's 90 points. Give me that there. So like a lot of lineups, the eight lineups that I had looked almost nothing like they originally did. I had plenty. I had I, I'd Pavlovich and Tuavasa in like half my lineups. And then I ended up with like him and like Pavlovich in one and Tuavasa in another. And that's about it. Right. And just switching out. But uh, going back to the ownership stuff, like in this past MMA slate, just to, just to show you the, the, the disparity. Uh, I don't have the actuals. I didn't, I didn't put in the actuals. Uh, so this is what I mean by the disparity of, of ownership. So, we we have like Jonathan Pierce, for instance. I'm not going to mention the site names. Okay. One site had him at 44 percent projected owned. One site had him at 28. Like that's that's a big discrepancy. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, Matthias Nicolau. One site had him at 25. One site had him at 12. Wow. Okay. That's a big discussion. Jeregui, one site had him at 22. The lowest site had him at 11, had her at 11, right? Mark Jacquesi, highest 30, lowest 15. Wow. Pavlovich, highest 41, lowest 28. Hermanson, oh. highest 25, lowest 12. I mean, like some of these are like 2X. Holtzman, a one had him at 27 and one had him at 9. Wow. Right, That's but now once you part. average it all out, the average has the highest R has the highest R squared compared to every single thing. The only the only uh single ownership projection that when I tested over the summer over all all the slates and mm-hmm. I removed the slates that had like I removed the Romanov slate, I removed the Lausanne the ones with the scratches. Because then you don't have accurate on that I I don't even right. want to count Doesn't those. Matter. Yep. Uh, some sites had much lower R squared than other sites, but in comparison to the aggregate, the aggregate was leaps and bounds. Like the aggregate was like 0.88 and the highest R squared for all the other ones were like 0.74. Wow. Right. From like 0.62, like one was 0.62. It was awful. Uh, the only thing that beat the aggregate was my ownership. Nice. But of course, I the, my ownership is the aggregate, and then a then a massage, and then a massage. Tweaks. 
Yeah. Right. So, like, here, here's, for instance, Matthias Nicolau came in at 14, I believe he was 14% in the, in the large, in the large field, at least. Uh, what did, this was the, the, the sites, this is what they, they projected. 22, 24, 25, 18, 12. So the one that had him at 12 was the most accurate. Yeah. But that site also had like, I'm taking a look down. No, they got pretty much a lot of people correct. Had no, had Darren Elkins at 22% and Elkins was nowhere near 22% though. Hmm. Right. Like, like they're all, like it's not like oh well they're good on that one but they're awful on another one so like that's why the R squared ends up working out that like these ownership projections are off but in this specific scenario I and Matthias Nicolau at fourteen percent like me like my ownership was fourteen and Uruguay I added fourteen also like these were the low the the two nine basically the two nine K fighters that were going to be as owned right then one site had. Jacquezy at 9,200 at 15 and I, and I had him at 24 and I think he came in at like 22 it's somewhere in that range. But one site I'm at a third, like three sites had him at 27, 27 and 30 and mm-hmm. two others had him at 15 and 19 knowing his box score against uh, Michael Johnson, who typically is not very good on the ground mm-hmm. and Jacquezy putting up tons of takedowns in the past two fights. I knew he was going to be more owned than what, algorithmically is projected. So it's like, like you need to get these things right. I mean, like in MMA, like you need to get these types of things, right? Like dude, Brian Barbarena, the the biggest underdog on the slate, mm-hmm. like him being like, like if I put him at, at 6% and he ends up at 8%, don't give a fuck. Yeah. Right. Like, like that to me, that doesn't match Schnell. I put him, put him at, at eight and he comes in at, seven like uh, like if he came in at 11 who okay, like whatever but right. like i mean some of these guys i mean people get surprised at these these ownership that that the, the ownership comes out and go wow he's way more owned than than what i expected it's like why wouldn't you have expected that I said well all the ownership projections said this I said yeah but all the content said x Right. And that's, that's, I mean, that's where you excel is consuming all the content for all the sites, uh, where, you know, most of us don't do that. Most of us are consuming some content. I think there are plenty of players out there who don't consume any content. They just look at tools and stuff, which, you know, generally is, can be fine. Um, but yeah, definitely. But but imagine, but imagine playing, imagine playing Yasmin Uregui, who you needed for the optimal line. She was in the first fight. Mm-hmm. One site projected her at 22% owned. And if you thought that she was going to be 22% owned at 9,300 with the Pierce and Dos Anjos on the slate and Pavlovich at 9,000, you would have said, I'm, I'm barely going to play her. It's like, what's the, how much upside does she plus 225 inside the distance compared to some of these other lines? Mm-hmm. Why am I playing her at 22% ownership? I had her at 14. I had her under owned at 14. Right, she probably efficient on just like sixteen to eighteen, mm-hmm. but like that disparity matters. So imagine you're just using one source and going, well, twenty two percent is over owned, and then and then the cards flip over and she's twelve percent owned, 
and you're like, right. uh oh, right? Yeah. Nicolau, people are people twenty percent. Like, dude, literally everything about Nicolau is it's a flyweight. The amount of not the amount of knockouts that you get at flyweight is very minimal. Now he did get a knockout uh, because Matt Schnell has absolutely no chin. But if you listen to content, and I mean, <coughs> if you if you just you know if you just watch the tape, it's like in comparison to all these other guys, all the other wrestlers, uh, all these other fighters in the nine K range, it's like yeah, Nicolau's gonna beat him up on the feet. Most likely, it goes it it may go the distance. Nikolai was very patient. He doesn't wrestle that often. How much upside does Matt, does Matthias Nikolau have? And he have to pay ninety four hundred for him. What's his shot at a hundred plus points? Ah, yeah, he's plus one fifteen inside the distance. But you got wrestlers in this range, so it's like looking through all that. It's like, yeah, you're right. At ninety four hundred, it's going to be tough to pay off that price tag. I'll play him at low ownership, but not at high ownership. But imagine looking mm-hmm. at sites and seeing 22, 24, 25. Like yeah, if I saw not, that, I'd be like, I'd, I'm Xing him out. Yeah. Right. But to, uh, to another site has him at 12. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's more the owner. How could you put this person at 25% ownership after everything that, based on the context of this MMA slate, you're putting him in, in the same, like, dude, a hundred more. You get Jonathan Pierce and a million takedowns. You get Dos Anjos for 200 more with a million takedowns. You get, get Jukasey for 200 less. You get Pavlovich for a quick win bonus, 400 less. How, how are you projecting him at 25% owned? And then now, if you take a look down the entire length of the ownership projections, there will be other fighters where they're the ones that have the more, like, like, like they get the underdog correct. Like, dude, there was one site that had tied to Avasa at 13% owned. Mm-hmm. He came in at 30, 32. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know the context here. I didn't play this slate. So I'm okay, right. 32%. That's a, that's a big disparity there. And for, for those that play MMA, now that I'm mentioning the numbers, I'll let every, if you play MMA you and, and you, subscribe to all these sites you'll know what sites i'm talking about so i'm not calling i'm not calling any sites out or anything uh but the site the the weird thing is that all of them are off but all of them are also good depending on the fighters right like it's like they're off but not in the same direction it's not like it's not the type of thing like this would be so much different if it's like oh everyone across the board had yasmin uregui at at somewhere between uh, 19 and 26%, and she came in at 12, mm-hmm. right? It'd be like, number one, I would have predicted she comes in at 12 to 14 anyway, but at least it's like everyone was wrong in the same direction, directionally, right. and you look across the board, and you rarely see that. You re- you'd see most of the time that that some favorite is over-projected and some underdog is under-projected and vice versa. And that will depend from site to site. So while, mm. while Tai Tuavasa is projected at 13% when he comes in at 32, like the same site has like, uh, at, has like Natan Levy at 36 and he came in at like 32. And that was the more accurate one compared to other sites that had him at like 26. 
So what I'm hearing is you need to subscribe to every site so that you can get accurate ownership projections and then also listen to every piece of content so that you can hear, well, this is what is going to sway from what the sites are saying. Is that what you're saying? Basically, subscribe to every content, site. But there really it's isn't that much MMA content. content. There, there is not that much MMA. I, I feel like there have been weeks where I probably did consume like every piece of MMA content out there. So that is true. Yeah, what, what's what's the deal? What's the deal now with uh, with uh, Jason and, 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 Pete? and Pete? Like, well, I now... Now they do the the before lock thing, but now their normal MMA show is on their own channel. Yeah, seems, I, seems I, like they're breaking off decision, on their own a little I bit. I think it's I think it's a business decision. I honestly I'm not uh, kept in the loop on all of those kinds of things, but it, from what I've seen on Twitter, it appears that they're breaking off, kind of doing some of their own stuff, trying to maybe branch out a little bit, but not really sure. Okay, I mean that's that, but to me the like the MMA content that I listen to slash read are is their show yep so it's the it's uh whatever they do on thursdays now they're doing it on the fight iq channel on their youtube channel uh the dogger pass podcast i'm not familiar uh, with that one pat okay. mayo mayo media now pat, pat mayo okay. yep uh, uh, uh brett appley daily fan mm. mma he does a premium podcast behind the okay. paywall and he also does, you know, obviously like the quick pick thing on the Mayo, whatever the hell. You know, I know Shrek loves him. I, I have not actually consumed that one. I don't subscribe, but right. uh, I know Shrek has had success with him. Uh, then uh, uh, who? Uh, I, I listen to John Kelly. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention. John Kelly. I read his stuff. I, I I also the Occupy Fantasy. Yep, I listen to that one too. Right, and also like, uh, show. And Jake does the MMA DFS He has a whole. Write up okay. sheet for that. Uh, the Rota Wire, typically just for the pay per views, does like Sniper, MMA, and and Sun Tzu. Typically, they'll break down fights or whatever. So I listen. To, I listen to a lot of that. And obviously, I'm, I, I the Stochastic will have an article or something. And obviously, yep. I yes, I I do the premium podcast for for Rota Grinders. So like yep. I I know what Liam and Mike is going to say. Yeah. Uh, so. To me, there's not that much. There's really not that much DFS content. Yeah, it's not a, not a crazy amount of content, out right? There. But then you look at the ownership projections and go, "How does this make any sense? Like, how did why? Like, even dude, I'll talk. I'll hey, I'll talk bad about Roto Grinders since uh, instead of calling out other sites, like sometimes I look I look at Moneyball's projected ownership, and even on the show, <coughs> me and Mike, <coughs> me and Michael go. Yeah, this person ain't going to be 20% owned. He's going to be 30% owned. I mean, like, just, yeah. like you just know, right? But, like, yeah, yeah it's hard. It, this is, shows how hard it is to do ownership projections. I mean, exactly. And it's, you know, I think most sites are probably hesitant to put their thumb on the scales. Like, they probably, I would assume, like, I assume, I don't know this, but I would assume that the stochastic ownership projections are largely automated there's not somebody going in and being like well i think based on box score chasers and the narratives out there he's going to be higher i think it's largely automated so then i i feel it's my job as somebody doing content and looking at those ownership to add that in to say you know i i said this on you know a recent show i said christian watson we've got him at basically the same ownership as alan lazard on on a showdown slate uh a couple weeks ago and i or last week and i was like I don't really think that's going to be the case. I think Christian Watson is going to get higher ownership because he's, you know, the sexy rookie who's getting touched at two touchdowns a game. Everybody's been seeing that. And then, of course, Christian Watson came in. I was, I was proud of that one. He came in like 12 percent, 13 percent higher. Well, than why, aren't, why, why aren't these adjustments being made then? 
Um, I why do you suspect? I don't know. Like, I'm not even talking about just stochastic. Well, I'm talking about in general of like. Well, because you don't want to be wrong. Like you don't want to lead people astray based on your assumption of what narratives are going to be. And and I'll say this. I, I This past show, I said the same thing about Jelani Woods. I was like, we've got Jelani Woods projected for 11% ownership. I don't see there's any way he's going to be that low owned after he crushed on the last island site. And then he came in under 10% owned. So uh, maybe I think there's some there's something to allowing for the ownership projections to just be automated and then maybe let content creators be the ones to say, you know, maybe I think that this is going to be this is going to be a little bit off based on narratives out there. Yeah, but sometimes, but for the MMA, it's not uh, what narratives. Like, there's only so many there's only so many fighters. You take a look and you go, how how does a plus two forty inside the distance seventy two hundred dollar heavyweight with name value is only going to be thirteen percent owned? When literally everyone is talking about Pavlovich only beating like Maurice Green and. Like, is he really, is he, he hasn't gone out of the first round. Like one, yeah. And then the, geez, Pavlovich showed him, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it just, it, I, I take a look and the, the, the least that we can do as content creators that you do. And as well as I do is these are, these are the baseline ownership projections and in our content, at least say, I don't agree. Like I'm perfectly fine saying I, I don't agree with this. I think this will be higher yeah. and that'll be lower and you can feel free to adjust it as it is. But from our, that maybe this is the rat. Maybe our, our ownership projections are what the rational ownership should be. Right. But human beings are not rational. This is how I think human beings are going to react to this. Yep. But the question is how come, and I'm, I'm posing this almost as a rhetorical question, not like, like, is there a solution? Right. But why don't sites are more inclined to put their finger on the scale? Because I think the site that does it the most is ETR mm-hmm. for football. And let me tell you, a lot of the times they're right. And a lot of the times they're wrong. Right. right? So like, because it's hard to do. I think that I think that's the answer is that it's like, well, we assume that people are going to be reacting to this news. And and as you say, a lot of the times, like a lot of the times we're right. And at least for me, a lot of the times I'm wrong, too, in my assumptions about like, I think this guy's going to get more steam based on narratives and, you know, revenge and a, a lot of different narratives out there. And some sometimes that just doesn't happen. Also, you have to you have to think inside or outside of your own bubbles. Yep. Because it's like inside of our bubble. Like this guy should be God knows how much owned, right? And then outside of the bubble, maybe that means nothing. Like that's why, like the Nick Chubb stuff. Samaji Piran is a good example there of we thought well Samaji Piran should be getting a ton of steam, and then he just didn't. Right. I mean, he got steam, but he didn't get to the extent that we would have thought. But a guy yeah. like Nick Chubb, it's like I knew he was going to. The projections don't have him as high as you know that he should be twenty five percent owned, but. In our bubble, no one's dude. In our bubble, you, I told you Nick Chubb was twenty five percent owned on any slate at eight k. You'd be right. like X out, yeah, right, right. But that's that's our bubble. Yeah, for the Millie Maker, dude, most of it is outside of our bubble. Oh, yeah. it's the it's the Browns running back against the Texans run defense. Plug them in. Yeah, jam them. So you you have to incorporate that somehow into your ownership projections and just. 
I just point out the MMA stuff because, like, if I just relied on one site's ownership projections, boy, would my lineups be way different. Yeah. Because that's what because that's what I do after after every slate. I I didn't fill it in this this time. Uh, I mean, I I I, I probably will later today. Uh, is I compare what my rate my rate my my MMA rating to the actual. Mm-hmm. And go. What? Who would I have played less of, more of? If who? What would have my lineups been different had I known the actual ownership? And I judge my play based on if I now take the actuals and put them in, and then run my lineups, and I go, what's the total? Like anything would have changed. And if if, if my lineups still would have been my lineups, pretty much. And I go, okay, it is that. That's I played this great. I played this great, right? Yep. So like when I when I'm playing Matthias Nicolau in two or three lineups out of my eight, going he's significantly underowned for his inside the distance odds, and then he comes in at 14 percent. I'm like, sure, but if if I went by one of these sites that had him at twenty five percent owned, I would have he would have been in zero lineups. Yeah, and then had I saw that he was twelve percent, I go oh I would have played I would have played like people you know Uruguay. If you thought he was, she was going to be twenty two percent owned and X'd her out, and then she puts up one hundred and twenty nine points in the first fight, you'd be like, "Why is she twelve percent owned?" It's like, well, because that's what she should have. I mean, like, yeah, right. Had you known she was twelve percent owned, you would have played her in at least one of at eight lines. Yeah, okay. So you need to make sure that number's right. You need to make like you need to make sure that number is somewhat reasonably right. Yeah, and I think just relying on one, from my experience. And looking for the past two plus years, no, I'm just going to call out all of them. No site has I would consider to be satisfactory enough ownership for MMA specifically. For MMA specific, none, none of them. Now there are some that are slightly better that are better than others. Yeah, I admit, but the aggregate is by far. Because it just it just curtails all all of the the outliers. Do you think that there's any chance that also? I mean, we we've talked about this with MLB. I mean, are the sites publishing ownership projections? Does that affect then the ownership that actually comes out? It from from what I so? from, no, okay, now at, at, at very limited. I you rarely. It, I don't think it. I don't, I think people that play MMA don't play that way. Okay. I think that there's two ends of the spectrum on MMA DFS players. The, you have the 150 maxer types that are just like need to find the optimal, r- avoid dupes. But other than yep. that, the ownership matters for calculating dupes. But that's it. There's there's not necessarily an exploitative strategy being employed. And then you have the opposite side of the spectrum of people that are just like. I just need to pick the six winning highest score fighters and just like, oh, Mateus Nicolau has no upside or Uruguay has no, they, they don't think in terms of 12% of the time she will get 120. They don't think like that. Yeah, they no. think way too binary. And they go, who do I X out and who do I play a lot of, right? Or what fights do I target? They go, I'm playing six lineups. I need to have Pavlovich or Tuavasa fight in every one of my lines. I need to have the Deton Levy, Gennaro Valdez fight in every single, like, either side. 
Yep. And then the Ducati Hill fight, X out. The Clay Guida, her, uh, the Clay Guida Holtzman fight, X out. Like they do stuff like that. Where What does it matter what the ownership is on Scott Holtzman and Clay Guida if you're just not playing the fight at all? Okay. I, I don't care if Guida is 40% or 4%. I'm not playing the fight because I don't think the guy's going to score 100 points. Like that. Yep. End of the story, right? So to them, the ownership, who gives a, I mean, it doesn't matter to them. Yeah. Right, so you have two ends of the spectrum where the ownership projections don't matter as far as a strategic standpoint, right? Yeah. The strategic standpoint on the on the one side is I don't care about ownership because I just want to pick winners, right? Yeah, which is a horrible way of thinking about playing DFS. And then on the other end, it's the 150 large field type of people where it's like I'm playing everyone. I'm just trying to play combinations that are less duped. So outside of calculating dupes leverage as a strategy in MMA doesn't matter to them. I, I don't know if I entirely, maybe I misunderstand what you're saying, but ownership still plays a big role for me in avoiding dupes. Like it's a big part of like, no, right. And, right. And, I, and I still do play exploitatively. Like if I see a, if a fighter is projected for a 10% ownership and we have them getting over a hundred points, 22% of the time, then I'm going to play exploitative. Yeah. But that, play. but, but that's what I mean by that's exploitative. Most, most 150 maxes do not play exploitatively. Okay. If you take a look at mo- at most ex- most exposures, they're they're not going above. They're 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 trying to make as many lineups that are as unique as possible, with the highest upside fighters, regardless of ownership. Mm-hmm. The ownership is only there to calculate dupes. So, mm-hmm. like, okay. if you took a look like this past slate, and you go, uh. Estella Nunez, you know, maybe is in like 4% of some people's lineups. And you go, well, she was like 8%. Like, does that mean, oh, they thought that she was over-owned? It's like, no, like Estella Nunez is probably one of the lowest ceilings on the entire slate. The only reason they're playing Nunez in lineups is because Nunez fits in lineups with other higher-owned fighters in it. But they're not playing much of Nunes only because their ceiling is high, is low. But you see mm-hmm. Tuavasa. Tuavasa was 32% owned, yet a lot of sharp players had way had a lot of Tuavasa at 7,200. And you go like, well, why did they play an over-owned Tuavasa? It's like, well, because he had the most likely shot out of any underdog to get 100-plus points. So as long as they played Tuavasa in lineups that weren't heavily duplicated, why wouldn't they want to play as much of a guy that's more likely to get 100 plus points, even though their shot at getting 100 plus is actually less likely than their ownership. Right. You're looking for the optimal. You're like, you don't care about playing exploit. You're not playing sure. exploitatively. You just, as long as it's, as long as it's less than five dupes, I don't care if I play 72 of us lineups out of 100. It, like it, that's what I mean by the ownership not mattering outside of just calculating dupes. Yet me and you who play more exploitatively is like, I'm used using my rating based on who's over and under owned. Right. And who could give me the most relative value. So I take a look at a guy like Tuavasa and go, oh, he's a bit over owned. Right. I take a look I, I take a look at some of these other guys, Mark Jacasey, right? Coming in at, you know, twenty-four to twenty-five percent, I go over owned for his ceiling. Like, and not play them. And in my eight lineups, didn't play any of them, right? Just over owned. But if you told me Jacasey was eight percent owned. It would have been in half my lineup. Like, yeah. 
the the, the only reason for, for the, the max enterers to do that is just to avoid duplication. A lot of times you'll see a very balanced approach. You won't even see yeah. you want you you'll you'll typically see them be over on a lot of the underdogs. Because a lot of them yep. are playing lineups that leave a thousand on the table, leave twelve hundred, leave fifteen hundred on the table. So they're yep. typically over on but they're it's not like, oh, they're over on a lot of one or two underdogs. No, no, they're just over on all of the underdogs. Right. Just across the board. Right. A little bit over. Yep. And it's like the guy that's that's forty percent owned, that it's like, wow, they're they're a little over owned. Like they'll they'll maybe they'll have thirty eight percent of them. I mean, like they'll right. But then you take a look at their individual lineups, and out of the hundred and fifty set, like hundred and eighteen are under fives. Right. Right. And so it's like exposure wise, they're kind of very balanced out, but yeah, they're all in the right types of lineups that have under five dupes for large right. field, and that that's all that meant. Like exploitatively, over of the be above and below the field doesn't really doesn't doesn't really come into any type of exploitative type of play. Well, I, well, I don't play that way. I mean, I play, if I, if I, if I believe, and you could see this in, in my, in my exposures when I, when I, when I did play large field before late swap, uh, I'll play a hundred lineups. And I, there were some slates where a guy was 38% down and I had 6% of them. A guy was 12% down and I have 36% of them. Cause it's like, these are the, people that are the most under-owned, I want way more of them. They provide me more value. The guys that are heavily over-owned, I'm just like, they, they barely appear in lineups. And if they put up 130 points, then I just close the lap, like close laptop, and so be it. So you, think, you think most 150 maxes do not play this way, the, the exploitative way that you and I both play? You think most are just looking at, I'm trying to avoid dupes, I'm going to run it through the dupe calculator? and That's, that's absolutely, yes. I don't. I don't. I don't think as many people play MMA exploitatively, that in comparison to other sports. Yeah. In general, I mean, also in other sports, it's very similar. Also, you know, you talk to a lot of, a lot of sharper 150 maxers, and some of them literally say, "Like, I don't really care about ownership at all." That's been that's been the the biggest surprise to me in doing the high stakes interviews, is so many of the pros are like, "Yep, don't worry, I don't worry about ownership at all," and they have a lot of success playing that way. I don't understand it, how that could work, but uh, they, and, and I know like guys like Travis Petty is a good example of, well, he doesn't have to because he does his own projections and they're pretty different from everybody else. So in that case, don't have to worry so much about ownership, but uh, in, in general, it surprises me how well some people do without really factoring in that much. No, but they, the, the thing is that their lineups do. That's true. Yeah. So they, right. they don't it's, it's one, it's factor one ownership, odd. but they, right. Yeah. Right. It's like, it's, uh, you take a look at, especially like the, some of the small field high stakes players and you go, well, I, I don't factor in ownership at all. It's like, yeah, but you played, you play three players in your lineup that were, were 8% or less owned. It's like, yeah, I thought, I, I thought, I, I thought they were, I, they know they need to get different in some yeah. way, right. but they're not, they're not obsessed over, well, what's my cumulative ownership? What's my product order? Just like, okay, I want to play a high projected lineup that is slightly different. Right, and then they choose some slightly different way, and they may not even look at ownership projections and go, "Well, I know this guy's going to be high on this guy." Like, and then they put together a lineup, and it's like, "Well, what's the ownership sum?" I don't know what the ownership sum is, but I know that like I'm just going to stack this and do this and play this guy instead. And you go, yeah. "Well, oh yeah, I don't care about ownership." It's like, no, you 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 do without 
realizing that you do. Yeah. You just don't put it on a microscope. It is part of your process. It's just not, you're not looking at it mathematically. You're just uh, more uh, using your intuition. Either that or just you're getting to the same point as as I am just with a different method, just like with, just like with Travis, right? Yeah. It's like, I don't care about ownership. It's like, yeah, because a lot of times the guy that, that is 4% owned, you have projected for like eight more points than anyone else in the industry. Yeah. So you know that you, that he knows that his ownership leverage is already being taken care of. It's not like, yeah. it's not, it's not that it's not important to him. He just knows that that process of finding under owned players is yeah. already being incorporated into his, his, uh, how he, pro- he'd, he, he'd play the 4% owned player going based on my projections, he should be 36% owned. And now he's 4% on. I'm glad I have him in 80% of my lineups. I mean, like right. it ends up being exploitative play right? without intentionally being exploitative play. So that's how I view right. when people say, I don't use ownership at all. It's like, well, you're still building lineups that are properly leveraged for the size of the f- field. So you're getting right. to the point of building this similar lineups that I'd be building anyway. So yeah. obviously, even though you're not factoring it in, it's coming out that way. Right. I mean, yeah, they're they're obviously making good lineups or they wouldn't be successful DFS players. Well, not necessarily. People get lucky. Well, yeah, that's true. People get lucky sometimes, but not at the frequency of, you know, the, the best the best in the world. Yeah, but if you have 150 entries, you can't lose. Well, that's true. I mean, you can if you can cover every combo, like how do you lose? Right. I mean, on a 12-game NFL slate, 150 lineups should be able to cover every combo. You can play every quarterback with all their best receivers, all the receivers that you'd want to play. Yeah. All the Chiefs receivers. You could play all the Chiefs receivers lineups. And that's what I do every week. Right. And you can play all the defenses. So you can make sure that you can cover all the, right, 24 defenses on the slate. You can make sure that you have at least, what, four lineups, five lineups with the Browns in it. And then out of those five lineups with the Browns in it, you're covering all the combos of the 24 stacks on the slate. And exactly. somehow that equals 150 lineups. I don't this know. is how DFS works. You just got to right. jam every combo. Yeah. Right. And then if you run out of run out of lineups, then that's when you get your wife to create an account. Yeah. Right. right? Now you can have another 150 lineups and 300. I mean, now now with 300 lineups, I mean, you're, you're almost getting to the point where you may have to even duplicate yourself because you're running out of combos. Yeah. And just try to double up on those winnings right. when you when with the one that's going to hit. Right. And if you had a 450 lineups, I mean, you'd be unstoppable. Yeah. That's why, that's Running why it's a 12 not a lot. Running a 12-game NFL really... slate, right? Yeah. 450, right? Of course, they can cover every combo. Yeah. Every possible combo. Of course. How did it, how, I don't, I still don't understand how people can say that with a straight face without even like, like you, you don't even need a formula to know how, how, how many more combinations of, of lineups that could possibly be than 150. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think people are really bad at math. I think is what it comes down to people. But I mean, that's don't... not even close. I mean, like yeah. I could see being like, if you, if, if someone told me, it's like, okay, tell me how many, if you took out all of the players that are projected less than eight points. Mm-hmm. So even all of those players, just everything under eight points. And you go, how many, how many combinations? Uh, and, and you have to stack, you have to double stack and you have to bring it back, right? We'll even put that in. Yeah. And you go, okay, there's a 12-game NFL slate. How many combinations do you think there possibly are? If someone would have told me and said, I don't know, 10,000, 50,000, 
like at least that like it's it's not a hundred like it's nowhere it's near one hundred fifty. Yeah. And saying fifty thousand, you're off by a, a ridiculous amount as it is. Yeah, like because the right answer is like. I have no idea what the a right answer billion? is. A billion? I mean, like, yeah. right. It's, I mean, you're, you're, it's not even in the tens of, like, dude, it's way, way higher yeah. uh, than that. But then, then that, yet you'll still have people that are like 150 lineups. You, you can cover all the combos. Like, I, I just. Yeah. I can almost understand people thinking that for showdown, just because it's like, there's so few players in the player pool. Like, oh, you just get rid of these bad plays and you can cover every combo. Like, it makes more sense if you're if you think that way for a showdown. Uh, but it's still. But even, even then, even, even then, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's still way off. It's just right, a little still bit more understandable. Absurdly off, right? Yeah, right. I think uh, most showdowns, like the amount of combinations you can make, is probably thirty to fifty thousand or something, something know, in that yeah. range, depending yeah. on how many players are active or whatever. Uh, I can't believe it's still a thing. It's it, we're getting, coming on to 2023, and the same the same narratives, the same excuses. People responding to screenshots. I I haven't. I guess I have seen it relatively recently. Yeah, it's still a thing. Yeah, right. That's why you're you're. I, I liked your 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 joke to my to my screenshot. It's like, uh, what would you say? It's Anybody like now with three lineups, right? With two lineups, lineups right? Yeah. Yeah, it's easy, right? It's a, you know, oh great, it's easy to win with two lineups. Yeah, <laughs> I can't remember. I feel like somebody might have responded earnestly to that. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I think someone, someone responded earnestly. Right? No, like, like no. Someone I don't. said all, all the all the pros do it or something like that. I was like, <laughs> oh, interesting. No, no, Neil's Neil's obviously joking, yeah. right? Does MMA say I got more tickets? I got so much. I got so many tickets. Nice, right? Uh, so I I got four or five fifty five tickets oh, for man. this coming UFC card. Yeah, I just went, I, dude, these, these NFL, these NFL slates that like these over, over these overlay all the time for the MMA the and the soccer stuff, the soccer stuff is done, but uh, the, the MMA, the MMA stuff, like it just, it overlays all the, it, all, all the time. It's, it'll be, it'll be like a, like a 40 something dollar, whatever. It'll be some like 17 man. Or thirteen man or something, and like it'll be like a half an hour before lock. It's like four out of thirteen. Wow. So I'm like, and okay. That doesn't fill up. I mean, I I guess if I saw it half an hour before lock and it was four out of thirteen, I'd probably say, well, that's probably going to fill, you know, because obviously it's closer to lock time. It's more likely to get more users. But those are how how far off are they from filling? They're half full. Interesting. Okay. Seven, yeah, eight. You know, the soccer ones. I was doing the ninety dollar seven man soccer ones. And there was one that was literally a head to head. It was me and McLovin in a head to head. In out of, out of how many? It was, it was supposed to be seven. Oh, oh it was seven. just okay. me and him. And that's it. Two out of seven. And they, and they run the contest in that. It's not like a, it's not a must fill. No. Wow. Okay. They post, cause they post like, cause they'll post like two of them for this, for the soccer world cup thing. They posted mm-hmm. like every NFL slate, main slate. They posted like two of these, hmm. and they would I, I oh, would I, I would be, enter I them, and it would always be life. like four out of seven, five out of seven, three out of seven. Wow! Right? And yeah, I'm just like, why? Term, why not? Uh, I'm playing these contests, so like that's I wouldn't do. The thing is, I wouldn't do it for tennis or anything. Like it, it's a it's something that I'm actually going to play. Like so, the MMA right. stuff is this the same thing. Oh, yeah. it's a satellite into into the it's in the five hundred dollar MMA qualifier. And it's a $70 nine man or something like that. 
And I'm like, oh, it's like, okay, it's three out of nine. Okay, four out of nine now. And and it fills with five. And it's like, okay. Yeah. It's fine. I mean, FanDuel, you could do it all the time. Yeah. Honestly, it's probably the best way to make money in DFS is just chasing overlay like this. Well, that's, uh, well isn't that always the easiest way? Yeah, that, that is always the easiest way. But I do, I do not do it. I do not take advantage of the overlay like I should. That's probably a, a leak. The, uh, the old Kyle Dvorak approach of right. just chasing all the overlay and, yeah, turning it into money. Yeah. Right, but he was chasing overlay in sports that he had no, like, he had no okay. idea. He was just using stochastic projections, which is, which is, which is fine. Right. Right. I mean, if there I, is overlay, why not? Just play a right. projected lineup. Then. Right. Depending I mean, on personally, I just do obviously. it for the ones where, like, it's contests and slates that I would play anyway. Yeah. Right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not entering college football satellites. I'm not, I mean, even for the NBA stuff, like, dude, I ain't playing NBA until January. I haven't been playing much NBA at all recently. I played, I went to the Timberwolves game on Saturday and I played, uh, I, I entered four lineups just like on the drive over. I was like, yeah, maybe I'll handle a few. So I entered one lineup four times and then completely forgot about it. <laughs> and then uh, it had Rudy Gobert in it. Came close to cashing, but Rudy Gobert got uh, ejected in the second quarter. So yeah, I, I've been basically not playing NBA much this season at all. And I think I, I, I'm the same way. It's probably going to be after NFL starts winding down. I'm going to get more involved in NBA again. Just uh, right now, just I feel a little bit burnt out. Yeah. Well, especially with other stuff going on. Like yeah. it's the type of thing. Like once once NFL is into the playoffs and right World Cup is right. over. Right, MMA will be off for a month, and it's like, okay, what am I going to do now? Okay, yeah. now now I'll now I'll get into the cesspool that is NBA DFS. Yeah, it's a lot of work. I still, I, you know, I used to, I, I still do love it sometimes when I play. I can get super into it, but, uh, you know, it used to be just like my, my bread and butter was NBA. It was my favorite sport. And now it's gotten to the point where it's like I prefer playing NFL DFS, I think. Uh, and yeah, just uh, haven't felt like playing recently. I still think it's my most profitable sport. I mean, I would think that it should. NFL is very clearly my most profitable sport, but right. I would think that NBA, like, should be based on. Uh, late swap and stuff and how much edge there is i do think that the field has gotten pretty damn sharp though like a, a lot of the field now is late swapping appropriately and it's getting tougher from an overall yeah from an overall raw money yeah nba is my nba is my most profitable sport not from an roi perspective it's my second in roi after soccer no mma mma okay Right, right. My sense. my ROI in MMA is thirty nine percent. Nice, which is nuts. Which is yeah. not sustainable. NBA right. it's twenty seven percent, which pretty damn good. Yeah, uh, I, I take that. I'm, I'm single digits in, in NBA. I play pretty high volume, so it's a decent amount of money. Right. But yeah, single single digits ROI. Yeah, soccer I'm twelve, NFL I'm five, and MLB I'm two. MLB, yeah, I'm close to even. I was up so much. My, my arrow was looking so good coming into this year, and I just got slaughtered this season in MLB, and now it's down to, like, I don't know, I'm probably, like, border, borderline zero ROI in, in MLB lifetime. I'm just I'm just happy that, uh, I mean, although I always say that, uh, that the, the, the years don't, don't matter, right? But my, my MMA win... 
put me over the profit line on DraftKings. Back back over the profit line on DraftKings. For 2022? For 2022. Nice. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can tell you from experience now, years do matter a lot for taxes. Yes. After having a great 2021 and a terrible 2022, I'm like, if I could just combine these for tax purposes, I'd be doing great. But since I can't combine them, I'm like, hasn't been that great of a two years once you factor in taxes. Right. Well, that's, that's what I was hoping for. Like, it's like, okay, I need to get above the line on DraftKings. And then FanDuel, I'm fine because I have the NBA win over there. So, like, that, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get that. So now I'm over the line on DraftKings so I don't have to worry about – not worry, just that it makes it – I can't take the losses from the previous, you know, and, and, and carry it over or anything like that. So – and it's also it's also going to be nice to, to say – and and show a rotor tracker screen that shows that uh, uh, eight straight tax years of getting a ten ninety nine. Nice, right? Yeah, so that's 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 always. I can't it. say that. I think I had four. I'm not. I'm likely not going to have one this year. It's going to be my first losing right. year in a while. But that's normal. Yeah, I mean, and it's it also happens. you ship the year, you ship the month over. Yeah, exactly. And and it and it. it, it I mean, everything. that's that's what I mean by like 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 my slant win two years ago. If you move the month if you move that to like one month previous like that then uh, next thing you know that year is a losing year but the next year is, is a, is right is a 50,000 higher year so it's like yeah I'm I always view it as like a rolling average yeah of like what am except, I making on average except for the taxes except for right. the, the tax except for, for, for the taxes in the states it can be painful right but I've never been in like this is the first time I was ever in a position this late in in the year where I was down on a site. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's probably a good thing to have. Yeah, it's definitely a good thing to have. Yeah. Right. Because you get, you get, it's, it's, it's worse. It's worse to go down early and then have to make that up than to go up early. To, to win early and then lose it throughout the year. Yeah. Why from a tax, from a, I mean, from a tax perspective, it's like, like on FanDuel, like right now, like my, Based, I mean, I, I updated this two weeks ago. Like, I have a profit of forty, about forty five thousand. Mm-hmm. Like, if I played on FanDuel and lost another ten k, it's just like, well, twenty seven percent or whatever the hell would have gone out in taxes anyway, right? right. And now, so like twenty, that's like almost free money if you want to call it like something like that. But it's like, had I lost that on DraftKings when I was down ten k. Like I don't, I'm not getting a tax break on that yeah, because I'm exactly. just not getting any 1099 anyway. So like well, now that I'm over the too. line on DraftKings, if I lose money, like I'm getting like a 20, whatever, 25 to 30 percent quote. Yeah, discount. but the, but the opposite is true also. If you win, you know, if you're down fifty thousand on DraftKings and you win fifty thousand, that's entirely tax free. The winnings, right? So it goes both ways, right? It does go both ways, right? But it's but it's worse to be down because you can't take that off of their winnings from another site. Right. True. Right. So that that's, that's the main thing. It's like balancing the sites, right. Balancing it out so that, yeah. I mean, you can't control when you like win first place in anything. No, but it's like, I knew on FanDuel once I won the, the, the NBA, since I don't play as much volume on FanDuel, it's like, okay, FanDuel's already taken care of. Now it's a matter of getting my, my DraftKings over the line. So, so I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine there. And, and if it was a small loss, it's a small loss. But it always sucks. It's like minus ten thousand. I'm not going to get a ten ninety nine that says minus ten thousand, yeah. right? Right. So it's like, 
okay, whatever, you know, minus 10,000, like basically like $3,000 of that. I've already paid in taxes, right? Because I can't take it off of the other, of the other side or, or, or underdog or prize picks or right. everything else that I'm a part of. Yeah. So this is why, this is why, uh, uh, this, this is the, you're not, you're not losing at DFS in December. You're just tax right. loss harvesting. That's right. Uh, anything else? No, I mean, it's been a couple of weeks. I'm trying to think if we've missed any uh, big DFS drama or anything. I don't think that we have. I think it's been a pretty, pretty lackluster, uneventful couple of weeks. Still need an episode title for this. Oh, no. Uh, tax loss harvesting. No, I think I've already done that also. Oh, I think what, you what about the ownership projections? The R squareds? The squared? The R's? Squares are using R squared? I. How about R squared? R squared. R squared. Because we were making yeah. fun. We were making fun of the R squared, so it's like arsed. Because they like, yeah, yeah. like we're like we're in we're in UK. Like we can't British, be arsed. Yeah. R squared. Arse. I like it. That'll work. That'll work. There's Why no not? reason that I, remember I don't optimize for anything for for search engines, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. As long as it's creative. Arse. Right. Arse squared. All right. Good enough, I'd say. Okay. That's that's the that's the last thing, right? And what else are we going to talk about in two weeks from now? Uh, by then, one of us will have shipped a million. I'm sure we'll talk about well, that. Most a likely bit. be you. I hope so. I don't. I, how many liners do I play in a million? Nothing. I mean, yeah. Uh, maybe best ball. I know you don't care about best ball, but uh, I am very much getting to like that. That's kind of my where I'm focusing at this point because I'm I have so many lineups. You have nothing to do with so focusing. I, there's nothing. There's, you're, that's at it. You can't do anything. Focusing my attention, not oh, my okay. any any kind of work on it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm excited about best ball. Um, Are we going to do that. a New Year's resolutions episode? Oh, we could do it. That's a good idea. Oh, it yeah, is. I was really about. joking. Is that or is that no. a good idea? It is a good idea. Think about like what are we going to do differently? And I don't know. Is it a good idea? Uh, we can think about it. Right. I don't know what my news resolution is going to be. I probably have to look at Roto Tracker and say whatever I was the negative in. Don't play anymore. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I did this year. So I mean, I mean, I didn't. It wasn't a New Year's re- resolution, but coming into this year, I was like, I'm winning so much if I just play contests that are like $25 or lower in entry fee and losing so much if I play higher stake stuff. So coming in, so, you know, I've been focusing on, I'm just going to play the ones I'm good at. And then of course now I'm losing at those too. So has not been, has not worked so far, <laughs> but it's a good idea. It's a good, good exercise to look at what you're winning at, what you're losing at. And maybe, uh, you know, but also out, the difference is you have to, you have to look at it also objectively and, and some of it is variance also. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think lifetime I've had pretty good luck. I've had, you know, probably more luck than I should have in small field or sorry, large field stuff. And I've probably had less luck than I should have in some smaller field, higher dollar entry fee contest. So definitely that plays a role in it. So if you want, if you want to come up with your own new year's resolutions, you can tweet at me at blender HD or at, uh, or at Neil player Q DFS. Yet Ben Raza on the High Stakes podcast. I have not listened to that episode yet. It's uh, a short one, nice and short, but it was fun talking talking to Ben. I always enjoy Ben's content, and you know we talked a little bit of sports betting that kind of stuff. Who do you have on next? Don't know yet. 
Don't know. Okay. And if it's, it's not till next week, so okay. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I, I all I know is that the last episode of High Stakes is going to be whenever Adam comes on. That's right. That he'll, right. He'll be like, you know, you're at, you're completely out when yeah. you finally convinced. I'm assuming it'll be after NBA season. I, I mean, currently uh, there, there's no plan. Adam has said he doesn't want to come on the show. He has <laughs> joked about, you know, maybe I need to come on because Josh's episode has the most views overall. So he's like, well, maybe I need to come on just to eclipse Josh's total. But don't don't uh, I tech? Wouldn't technically mine be? Is it? I, I haven't honestly. I haven't looked recently, but probably with with your aggregate. If you aggregate them together. Okay. Well, then I, I that counts. Right. Yeah. You're you 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 have the most views on 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 this show. Yeah. If you, do I uh, do I even though like if you if you I, aggregate Eric them all still has you know like Eric still has more episodes than me probably a higher aggregation. I there. don't know. He he took off so many times that I I it's hard to tell. Yeah. As of as of when you came on high stakes, I had done the math and Eric had still been on the show like maybe seven or ten times more than me. So maybe I've caught up to him. In terms of probably, probably I'm closing in at least on the most minutes on the show. Right. But not, maybe not the most minutes talking. Probably not the most minutes talking. That's no. true. No, no, I, I lead that by a healthy margin. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, uh, subscribe to the high stakes podcast on, on, uh, on iTunes or the stochastic podcast feed, which if you subscribe to, you get like 700 new episodes every day of everything. Yep. Uh, which is fine. You just weed for the stuff that you want, you want, and you don't want. Uh, and obviously, rate and review this show on uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever wherever you get your podcast or on YouTube. I still don't understand. I still don't understand why people watch this on YouTube <laughs> instead of just listening. To, but it's just me and you talking heads. There's nothing to see. There's nothing to see here, unless people to put it on and then put it on the background. You thought I listen to everything on YouTube, so I do get it. And I just have it on in the background, and that's if, the if there's a RSS way. feed podcast version, why wouldn't I just play it in a podcast player? I don't know. There's no reason not to. I'm just there's no I'm, reason. There's absolutely yeah. no reason. I, I I don't get it. Let me know. People always say on comment on YouTube and go, "Oh, okay, the the sound sucks." Yeah, because I fixed the sound for the podcast. Here's one thing: I do I subscribe to the YouTube Premium, so I don't have to deal with any kind of ads on YouTube. So if you're already subscribed to YouTube, then maybe you don't want to subscribe to you know a, a podcast platform to also get rid of the ads. Yeah, but the, you don't. It's a this podcast has no ads. I mean, this podcast, but like high stakes, I get that complaint sometimes. Like, why do I get these ads when I listen to the high stakes podcast? And I'm like, I have no idea. Those are just like your targeted ads. Or, right. So it's uh, other people have ads. Whereas if I listen to high stakes on YouTube, I don't get any kind of ads. Okay. Okay. That, okay. Now, now you've convinced me that, that that can make some sense. For this podcast, it doesn't. Yeah. Right. But for others, right. I could see, okay, yeah, because YouTube premium, you don't get the, yeah. Okay. I yeah. get it now. You convinced me. Nice. You convinced me. And how can I convince everyone out there for Christmas to get their significant other or themselves the theory of daily fantasy sports? It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. You can pick up at theoryofdfs.com.